Hello and welcome everyone. Uh, today I'm joined by Jose Viquera, uh, President and CEO of O3 Mining, Brian McIntyre, President of Mavericks Metals, and Luke Alexander, President and CEO of Nucor Gold. Uh, in these uh, difficult times we find ourselves in, we are trying to make sense of it all, and hopefully these guys today will give you some things to think about and maybe some actionable uh, content as well. So gentlemen, welcome aboard. Thank you for joining us. How are you all? Good, Very good. Good, thank good, you. good. Um, well, like, I'm going to get you each to just give us a 30 seconds overview of your uh, companies before we get stuck into some of the questions. So, uh, Jose, I'll go to you first, then Ryan, and then Luke, if you don't mind. Great. Right, O3 Mining is a company with assets in Valdor. We have around 3.9 million ounces right now in the book. Uh, we have a market cap of $150 million. With around $95 million in cash, as you heard well, we have an enterprise value of around $45 million. Uh, we recently put out our, our new resource with 2.3 million ounces, mineable ounces, which will be reflected in our next uh, pre-feasibility study. And we're continue to find ore as we continue to do our exploration. Uh, it's a story of growth, a story of development, a story in, a, in an area of good mining, such as Valdor, Quebec, where, where mining happens and new discoveries are happening all the time. You know, Mavericks is a, a gold-focused royalty company. We've got 125 royalties and streams currently. Uh, 14 of those are paying. Uh, in 2021, we had a record year. Uh, we're going to announce earnings uh, next week. We'll have uh, solid results. And uh, 2022 should be another record year uh, for probably revenue and cash flow as well, assuming things go well. And we're listed on both the New York and Toronto stock exchanges under the symbol MMX. Uh, I'm Luke Alexander, President and CEO of Nucor. Uh, Nucor has the Enchi project in Ghana. It's an advanced stage district scale exploration project, 1.4 million ounces. We put that resource out middle of last year. The company's also fundamentally underpinned by a PEA, which we released. Uh, good economics within that PEA, uh, about uh, $300 million NPV at uh, $1,850 gold price. So that really fundamentally underpins the value of the company. But ultimately, we're an exploration stage company, currently have the largest ever drill program on the project, 90,000 meters in, uh, in total. Thank you very much, guys. Look, um, all gold guys uh, on today and with uh, Goldman Sachs increasing or upgrading gold to 2,500 bucks, I guess it's it's quite timely. But Jose, we, before two weeks ago, we were all concerned about inflation, supply chains, and um, thinking, trying to understand what that could do to the price of gold. Uh, obviously, with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, things just uh, accelerated uh, somewhat. So what's what's your take on the market? For gold, I think that we are certainly right now in a, in a bullish market for for gold. Uh, it's unfortunate what is happening uh, with regards to Ukraine and and, and and the actions from Russia. But I think uh, gold was uh, was already going in the right direction, going up, uh, especially due to the financial situation worldwide. Uh, we have seen the United States printing money. Uh, in an accelerated way, uh, not stopping to print money. We did not see any increase in, uh, in interest rates. Uh, we saw wages being uh, elevated. We saw a lot of talent leaving different uh, corporations. And, uh, and we see certainly uh, an issue with supply and demand. I mean, uh, arguably, you could arguably uh, make the, the argument that there was no inflation, but was just a supply and demand issue that was going to be solved in the next two years. But I, I, I doubt that. 
I certainly believe that there, there, there was inflation already happening. And certainly with what has happened right now between Russia and Ukraine, this has immediately blown away. This is not the first time. Uh, certainly every time the gold price has picked has been with, uh, with uncertainties in the world, unfortunately with wars. And, uh, and this may not be the, uh, the difference, no? And, and Ron, what's what's your take on what's your take on it? Obviously, you're um, a royalty streaming company. You've um, you, you, was, was, I'm just sort of intrigued by what sanctions do for um, you know the producers and what that could do for you. Is, is the market still there? It just it just moves in different directions. I mean, what was the gold market look like? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of different crosswinds out there today. I mean, I think as as you started off saying and Jose elaborated on. I, mean, I think we started off probably the year talking about more about inflation than anything else and you know how much in terms of rate heights might the Fed or other central banks around the world implement over the year. And I think that has certainly started to at least slow down a little bit, just given what's happened uh, in Ukraine. Uh, so I think there are a few different things going on. I guess just from our standpoint as a royalty company, uh, you were, we're obviously uh, insulated from any inflation, just given that you know, we basically just take a percentage of revenue typically off of uh, mining operations. But on the other hand, it is important to recognize that that, that it does impact, uh, you know, global demand and supply as well. And so I guess from our standpoint, you know, notwithstanding that there's a physical war, but in our view, there's been a financial war that's been going on since 2008, when we had the financial crisis, and you had this exceedingly advanced intervention by all central banks in the Western world. Uh, to combat any sort of negative, I guess, impacts on the financial market. So I think we're still still going through that, maybe in a more accelerated way. Okay, and, and Luke, uh, let's get you into the conversation, and then maybe we can broaden the conversation up. So, Luke, what's, what's your take? What's going on at the moment? Yeah, I think both Jose and Ryan raise very valid points in terms of inflation, money supply. I mean, those are key drivers for the price of gold. Ultimately, if you look at the correlation of money supply relative to gold and go back to the 70s, um, you know, that's been probably the biggest driver of, uh, of the gold price. And ultimately, to get out of, you know, the, the pandemic, governments around the world have been printing money um, for the past two years. So that's obviously flowing into the price of gold. From an inflation perspective, I mean, Real interest rates are trading around negative 5% today. I mean, those are levels that are now surpassing what we saw in the 80s and in the 70s, where we saw, you know, big moves ultimately in the gold price. And I think now, if we obviously look at the past two months and what's happening with commodity prices, I mean, to date, you know, commodity prices are up about 144% across the board. That's the biggest start to a year since 1915. I think people looking at oil at $120, inevitably that's going to flow through into, you know, the into CPI, into the price people are paying for all of their goods, whether it's, you know, consumer products, whether it's gas at the pumps, and that will inevitably, I think, start to, um, you know, impact inflation even further. And we're going to start to see more inflation across the board, which inevitably, given it's correlated to the price of gold, we should continue to see a strong gold environment for the foreseeable future. But it's interesting from what, uh, what Luke mentions, and, and, and I find it really this fascinating, is that for the past maybe 10 years, people were asking the question, 
where is gold and uh, would gold be there forever? And uh, are there other currencies or cryptocurrencies that would come into the equation? And the reality is with what we are living right now, people goes back to basics and, uh, and gold is a safe haven. And I think this is, this is being demonstrated now with, with literally supply and demand in gold. I mean, gold is going high, not only because there is a scarcity, but now more people want to have it because they want to be sure that they could trade it after. Uh, no one knows what's going to happen, what is going, how, how things are going to reveal from what is happening right now between Russia and Ukraine and the implications that will have the sanctions being put by NATO and the states and the rest of the world and how much is that going to strangulate Russia and how Russia will, will, will behave. So it's very interesting to see the behavior with regards to gold. Suddenly people now realize that gold is valuable and, uh, and, and, and it's good to have it. it well, it's, it's in a way, um, investing just got real again in the sense that the kind of, sort of ethereal, uh, you know, cryptocurrencies or, or Bitcoins, et cetera, perhaps don't have that, well, real, real life meaning when when there's a war on and when there's a war that's highly visible and, and, and much much talked about with it and all of the uncertainty that comes with it. But you can buy gold in different ways. And I'm sort of intrigued by, you know, what the physical gold buying situation will be like compared to uh, buying of equities in gold producers versus and how that trickle down economics come hits guys like you who are in the exploration stage still. I mean, Ryan, have you what's your thought? On, on that? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, in my former life, uh, being a portfolio manager at Tokyo Asset Management, you know, we used to meet with a lot of investors, obviously, and, you know, introduce them to gold in some cases because they hadn't been invested in the space. And what we would always recommend, and I still believe today, is that investors should have a mix of physical gold and gold equities. And, you know, within this sphere of gold equities, there are many different ways to play it as well, all the way from the largest producers in the world. Uh, royalty companies, and then obviously companies that are either exploring or developing properties. So to me, I think you should have a, a mix across the board uh, in gold uh, access always. I think that's the best way to play it currently. I think one of the things that's been interesting <clears throat> with this $200 move that we've seen in the last month and a half is that gold equities have outperformed the price of gold over the last you know two or three weeks. And typically, you know, when you're looking at gold equities, you're looking for leverage to the gold price often. And that has started to, you know, show itself over the last few weeks as we've seen the, you know, gold price really move higher. The equities have started to uh, outperform. From a portfolio perspective, and Ryan can talk about this in a lot of detail as a former portfolio manager, but typically where we see the money come in first is into the seniors. And we're now seeing Newmont, Barrick, the large caps out there starting to hit 52-week highs and blow through those 52-week highs. And inevitably, what we'll end up seeing is as money flows into the seniors, we'll start to see it start to come down cap as well into the intermediates, inevitably into the um, junior explorers like you know, Jose at 03 or, or us at Nucor. So that's typically what we see. And it's been very constructive for the gold equities to see that outperformance in the last few weeks. So obviously, um, investors are seeing the benefit of it. Will the companies see the benefit of all this? It's not a good thing to be talking about, but we're all here to invest and we're here to make money. So it's a, and it's a very delicate subject when there's a, a war as part in, in the mix there. But, you know, 
the 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 equities are the beneficiaries, and hopefully, as as the you know, hopefully they start moving um, meaningfully this year. Retail investors can be the beneficiaries of that. But what does it mean? Because inflation hasn't gone away. It's not like it's disappeared. There's still the companies are still under enormous amount of pressure um, from that perspective in, in terms of keeping studies up to date, in terms of costs, raising money to pay for costs, and then waiting for the acceptance of, you know, hopefully of, of, of gold price increase along the way. So Jose, how much more difficult is it operating now than say, you know, a couple of years ago or even, you know, pr- prior to that in your experience? I think as long as you are dealing with fundamental value um, and with lower costs, you will always be in a good position. I mean, uh, in our case in particular, we run our preliminary economic assessment uh, at 1450. So I think that that has already been hedged. I mean, if there is a huge inflation, uh, we can use now a higher gold price for our pre-fees. And then that has essentially hedged this, uh, this situation with the inflation. Uh, so and, and at the end, the most important thing is where are you going to be in the cost curve? If you're in the first quarter, you're always going to have leverage there because the, as it goes up, the guys that have higher costs are going to start having difficulties and then the money would go to fundamental value. So at the end, I think uh, this will be a market that will essentially price or give the price to those ones that, are, that has fundamental value, that are focusing on the right things and uh, that has been doing the essentially a good job. But don't you feel in, in the, with the, with gold price, you know, if, if Goldman Sachs is to be believed, you know, it's, it's, it's been hard to call for the past couple of years, um, that money will come flooding into the sector and, and projects which don't have strong fundamentals are going to get funded because money makes problems go away. I mean, do you think we'll see a sort of 2020 all over again, Jose? Um, as well, uh, probably that will happen. Uh, we'll see how much effect the, uh, the inflation will have in all this because that's what will balance in all these uh, circumstances where we have seen uh, difficult moments such as what happened in Iraq and Kuwait or what happened in the 1930s. Uh, still prices goes up, oil goes up. So, I mean, there is, uh, there is a balance there on where, where you will finish. And if, even if gold price goes to 3,000 bucks, um, let's, let's hope that that gap between inflation and where gold will be still very big. So other projects could come in into, into operation, which will be fantastic. Uh, but uh, it will depend on that delta. No? Well, Brian, you, 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 you do that for a living. You, you've got to do the diligence before you allocate capital to these companies. You look for strong fundamentals because it's essential that they get into production, whereas momentum plays and momentum investing doesn't require that. So do you, is it going to make things more difficult for you to spot the the, the weaker hands, as it were? Um, no, I think, well, Jose makes a good point. I think it all comes down to, at the end of the day, quality assets. And I think one of the key things in this world today is the scarcity of quality assets. And Jose and Luke are blessed with having good projects at uh, Marban and Enchi. And thankfully, we have a royalty on Enchi as well. So we get to benefit from some of Luke's work. But I think it's critical, you know, in today's environment. I mean, there aren't many new things coming on right, in this space. So, you know, we've gone through a significant period where there's been a, basically a malaise in sort of gold equity stocks for a long period of time. And so you really haven't had that much sort of new things come along. And I think the critical part is, you know, if you have more money flowing into the space, which I think is very likely given everything that's going on, um, you know, you only have a few places to put it. So you'd have to imagine that that would significantly benefit people that already have notable projects 
uh, on the go already. And I think to me, that should definitely benefit investors. Yeah, I think inevitably, Matt, at, at the end of the day, you know, we saw it in 2020. We've seen it in previous gold cycles where there's a parabolic move in gold or a significant move in gold. You know, a huge amount of money flows into the sector. It doesn't always go to the quality projects, but typically the quality projects are the ones that are able to attract capital in good markets and bad markets because they're funded by deep pocketed institutional investors. I think that's the case at 03. I mean, that's the case with us. We've got 40% institutional ownership. So they'll continue to support the good quality projects. And inevitably, they'll be the ones that then get to a point of construction and being able to push them forward. Whereas a lot of the you know, more speculative exploration stage um, companies out there may get you know, uh, small amounts of capital in good years, but then you know, the cupboard will be dry for multiple years in bad cycles. So yes, it will happen, but the good quali- quality projects always attract the uh, most amount of capital in my view. So it's great saying that, the good, good, good quality projects. So as a retail investor, what am I looking for? I mean, so Luke, I mean, you, you, you've been markets guy as well. So what should people look for to try and identify projects with good, strong fundamentals? I think you two for sure qualify in terms of Jose and, and, and Luke. Uh, and Ryan's a slightly different model, but obviously done exceptionally well in, in this market for the same reasons. But what, what, what do you put it down to, Luke? I think there's a few things. One, the team involved in the project. Typically, good quality teams will ultimately find the best projects out there. Or even if it's not the best project out there, they will advance it. They'll finance it. They'll push it forward towards a construction and get it into production. So good quality team is one thing. Good support from institutional investors who do that extra level of due diligence when they're looking at the project and are you know, investing on a daily basis, looking at projects around the world. So a good institutional support, good support from the capital markets as well. Typically, investment banks, um, when they're covering a company, they obviously want to be behind that company because they think it's going to be successful. Investment banks have thousands of projects and companies that they can choose from in terms of coverage and names that they want to back and put their um, name behind. And then, you know, the other thing I would look at jurisdiction. I mean, at the end of the day, you can have all those other things. But if you end up in a jurisdiction where there's going to be security issues or political turmoil, inevitably that can you know destroy a company as well. So I'd say those you know those four things: uh, team, jurisdiction, good support from institutional markets, as well as um, uh, as well as the investment banking community. Well, I think the jurisdictional risk never highlighted more than uh, in the current market over the last, in the last two weeks. Um, uh, Jose, you've got a bit of experience in South America. It's it's getting a bit messy down there. Uh, Chile, Peru, um, even Mexico. Not not very good noises coming out of out of those areas. So, what what can you tell us? Or what can you tell investors thinking of investing in South America? Will it will it be okay eventually? I guess being South American, you're just used to that. Like, you know, it's a roller coaster and you'll be okay. Uh, so <laughs> we have seen it that for, for the past couple of decades. So that goes back to Luke's comment, which is, I mean, who's going to take care of that? If you're going to send a couple of guys from the UK to take care of a project in Peru, 
maybe they're going to make a lot of mistakes. I mean, uh, they maybe push the wrong buttons, especially now that the regime is a little bit more lefty than, uh, than, than pro-market. But if you are from the town, maybe you know what are the right things that you can say and how you can say it and, 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 and at the end, navigate. At the end, what will prevail will be the quality of the project. I mean, if you have a project that it is just okay, you put an extra royalty, you're screwed. Uh, you have a fantastic project, doesn't matter how, many, how, much you, how much damage you want to do, you will still make a lot of money. I mean, we have seen that in Indonesia. Uh, we, we have seen that in, uh, in, in, in Grasberg, one of the most important projects in the world. Doesn't matter what they tried to do to Grasberg, it was still printing money every single year. So uh, the reality is that you need to adapt. Uh, I, I think South America will be eventually okay. Um, there is certainly some, uh, some left winds coming into, into South America, unfortunately being brought by Cuba and Venezuela and, uh, and with not the support from, from other countries. But uh, I think uh, that the amount of middle class has grown in such a way in Latin America and are prosperous that they would not allow those countries to go to, to, to trash, for saying that. I'm trying to use the best words I can and, and be very moderate on how I say things. And the same thing happens to, to Mexico. Mexico is too good to be screwed by a person. But they're trying very hard. Believe me, they're trying very hard. No, I think that's a really good point. I mean, I think, you know, I think Luke and Jose both made it, is that the management team is so critical in terms of navigating things. I think you know, in everyone's life or business, something always inevitably uh, comes up that you would be on effect. And frankly, it's management's ability to deal with that problem and come up with a solution. It is so critical. And it's funny when you know, we're putting money with, with different groups around the world. It's, it's really important what the management team is in terms of how they're comprised and what their view is and where they're going. I'd go into some countries with some management teams and I wouldn't with others. And you know, if I guess from Maverick's standpoint, uh, diversification is also important. I think I mentioned just a little while ago about you know, how investors could take advantage of this, you know, in their own portfolios. And it's really, to me, it comes down to diversification again. You know, having all your eggs in one basket is just not a winning strategy because something will come up that's unexpected. And it's the ability to withstand that and persevere through that is the key success, I think, to investing in gold. Because I think it is, it is a winning investment. And it's just a matter you have to get through some ups and downs and it will inevitably happen. Matt, I think the other thing I'd just add, I mean, for a number of your listeners um, who are kind of, you know, looking at different countries around the world and trying to come up with how to, you know, assess the risk for mining and exploration projects, one of the, you know, things I always look at is who's operating in that country. And if you've got none of the major mid-cap producers in, uh, around the world operating in those countries, but they've got phenomenal deposits typically that says to you that there's significant political and maybe security risk. I mean, if we look at Ghana, for example, I mean, we've got four of the top 10 gold producers operating in country. Newmont is putting another $800 million into Ghana. That's going to take their production from 14 to 20% of global production. You can listen to me all day talk about how great you know, Ghana is. But Newmont, as the largest gold producer on the planet, having 20% of their total production coming from Ghana, I think speaks for itself in terms of the risk assessment, political assessment that they do. You could make the same comments about, you know, 
uh, about Quebec and where Jose is operating. You've got major gold companies from all around the world operating in Quebec, in Ontario, in Canada. So that's one way to look at when you're screening a country, political risk and security risk is who's, who's operating in country. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Um, and, and just, just to, uh, to kind of um, build on the conversation. And, and, and Quebec, Quebec has a, an, an extra thing, as you know, Matt, uh, which is flow through. No? I mean, uh, that certainly gave us a, a, an advantage that it is uh, incomparable with other places in the world. I mean, we, we raise money at an 80% premium to do exploration, to put money in the ground. I think the, I think the Quebec government has, 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 has understood it. It's, uh, it. it's fascinating to see a government that promotes uh, exploration and mining, promotes jobs, promotes new discoveries to be made just because they allow uh, flow through to exist uh, in, in, in better conditions than in any other places in, uh, in, in Canada and, and, and why not in the world? Uh, you know, sometimes you question yourself why, why we don't do this like all over the world. Um, but certainly the ability to raise money, it's, uh, it's, it's much easier in a, in a safe jurisdiction and, and, and with these tax benefits, no? No, a big, big fan of Quebec, for, for sure. Uh, everything we, we, we've learned over the past couple of years suggests that it, it really is that good place to do money. Um, just, just want to build, um, build on something which um, Ryan talked about, which is in terms, terms of, um, I guess, de-risking your portfolio or mitigating risk in your portfolio or even for, for companies mitigating the risk um, in terms of um, you know, your assets where they are. Um, is how do you, maybe one for Ryan, um, how do you think that retail investors should view the current environment? What do they need to do? Should we be hoarding cash because of the uncertainty out there? Should we be going for gold because traditionally that's been a you know, safe harbor uh, for investors in whatever form of gold you want? Should what, 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 what do you think we should be doing or thinking about? Yeah, well, I think well, holding cash is probably a losing strategy, uh, I would suggest. And, you know, I think Warren Buffett put it really well in an interview he did on CNBC, I think it was in 2014 or so, talking about the last, uh, I guess, incursion into Ukraine by Russia and Crimea. And uh, he was asked, you know, should people be holding cash? And he, he said, basically, holding cash basically guarantees uh, losing purchasing power. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier on, we're, we've been in a financial war, you know, with central banks just printing money nonstop. And to me, in that environment, today's environment still, uh, you do not want to be holding cash. I think gold is one of the things I think you should absolutely have in your portfolio. Uh, if nothing else, it's an insurance policy. And if everything goes well, then the rest of the portfolio should do well. And if things go poorly, gold will probably do very well and insulate uh, investors a little bit uh, from that. But I think more specifically, you know, if I'm if I'm an investor right now, uh, you've got to be a little you got to be a little careful uh, because I think uh, we're frankly in a bubble in a lot of different areas. And I would say the general equity markets. I can specifically talk about the United States being based in New York. Um, you know, had the S and P 500 just coming off you know all time highs, valuations through the roof. Uh, you also have the same sort of thing happening on the debt side worldwide in terms of scale, where you've got, you're just coming out of negative yield environments, which a few years ago, I think people would have thought would have been impossible to achieve, you know, having a negative yielding in, you know, instrument. I mean, the idea of giving someone, lending someone money and expecting less back is the craziest notion 
I think, of any financial thing I've ever heard of in my life. And then you've got the people's attitude in terms of how much risk tolerance they have uh, for investing, or at least up until recently. And to me, I don't think there's been any comparable environment, uh, even back to the internet bubble of 2000. You know, you had, you know, the famous uh, YOLO, uh, you only live once. And to me, that's someone not looking beyond the next sort of three to six months. And that's usually a dangerous environment. It almost so, seems that we have forgotten what we have, uh, what we have just finished or we have finished a pandemic of two years. Like on top of that, you had two years where essentially most of the people were recluded in their houses, where now, you know, as, as, as you are starting to have a normal life, now we're living a war. So uh, it's, I, I, I'm not an economist and I don't know how things are going to progress, but I, I do know that those guys that were at home now are going to be spending more money. Then they're going to need, now they're going to realize that what, where they want to spend the money, they won't be able to spend because things are a little bit more, more expensive. Then inflation kicks in in a way that we were not able to see it before because people were recruited. Now we're going to see that. And on top of that, it's going to be beaten by the war to increase the things at a higher level. And, uh, and I think it's going to be for, 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 for the least very, uh, very interesting to, to pay attention to how things unrevealed here, because I think we, we cannot minimize the fact that we have been uh, in prison pretty much for two years. But, but think about this. You, you, you've got invest. I want to talk about mostly about retail investors um, on high net worth here, because they're most if you're investing, you're in the lucky position to have some cash to be able to invest, right? But as you say, inf inf inflation is a big part of this. We've also got to pay back the debt um, that we, the money that we've been printing and, and spending uh, over the past couple of years, and that's taxes. Taxes have gone up here in the UK. Uh, stealth taxes, regular taxes. It's 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 moving up. People are going to have less disposable income, and then the discretionary spend. They've got to work out where they put that. Do they have to pay, save money for increasing heating bills, food bills, um, or you know, do they invest? So what's the, what, what's the smart play here, Luke? Well, I think you know probably the best investment over the last you know couple of years in 2021 was you know a great year for it was borrow at zero, pounded into the broader market, and you know you look at the S and P last year, it was up 27 percent. So that, you know, that, that trade has been going on for a number of years. I think one of the things that's supporting the market um, today is the expectation has changed in terms of rate increases. If we even go back, uh, you know, just over a month ago, you know, there was talk of seven rate increases this year in the U.S. Now, you know, we're talking about four rate increases there was talk about a 50 basis point increase happening this month. Now it's 25 basis points. So I think that, you know, that, that, that trade of borrowing at close to zero, investing it in the broader market, I think people are now going to start to look at that, you know, again, and are going to continue to ultimately push money into, in, into the market from that perspective. So I mean, that's something I think to, to keep an eye out for is, is that continued ability to borrow at zero. Um, so in terms of the actual conflict that we're seeing right now and the impact on the market, um, I saw an interesting piece out from uh, Bank of Montreal that basically looked at every single conflict back to uh, World War II. And they then looked at what was the 
impact on the market on a one month, three month, six month and 12 month basis. And I was actually surprised to see that in the 20 odd conflicts that have come up in the last, you know, uh, 90 years, that 12 months after the market was actually up an average of 8%. So I would have lost that bet. But that's kind of what the data says. And it was something that was quite interesting to me that the market often overlooks these conflicts on a one month, three month and 12 month basis. Do you agree, Jose? Do you think do you think people are going to be um, either too, too nervous to invest, or do you think that they're going to? To my earlier comment, things got real here. Do they? Do you think that they will d- be more likely to uh, invest because they they are aware of the costs coming down the line? I think a lot of cha- of things have changed with the with the pandemic. I think that the the new generations have learned to invest something that didn't happen uh, ten years ago. Like now, there is an app where you go and you will trade. And, uh, and I think that, you know, the more information is out in the market, the more trade that will happen. And, uh, and I do believe that, you know, retail investors now go through different platforms, platforms to buy. And I think they are going to be buying things that has fundamental value. And they're going to be looking for Luke's company and uh, Ryan's and, uh, and ourselves. And, uh, and those guys that have fundamental value, people will, will, will buy them. Uh, I, I think that there, there is a different mindset today with those millennials or, or, or Y or X, I don't even know how, how, how we call them. Uh, I wanted to believe that I was. Gen Z. I'm not. Gen Z, and, we call uh, them. And, and the reality is that now there is a lot of people that are participating in this trade that did not participate 30 or 40 years ago. Those like people were investing once they had money in the bank. Now people are investing their salaries. It's, it, it, it's a totally different mindset where we're living now. So predicting this, uh, I, I think you need to be a real magician. And I think it's also important to realize, you know, the power that the retail investor, uh, you know, has really emerged over the past two years. And I think that's been a really significant phenomenon in terms of, you know, some of these, particularly the meme stocks and and things of that nature where, you know, I think for that initial period where, you know, we were, you know, all locked down, no one was going out. So I think people did have excess discretionary income during that period. And I think that was an important contributor uh, to some of the excesses we've seen and still exists. Uh, today. And I think, you know, Matt, I think you pointed out very well that, you know, people are now going to have to make a trade-off between, you know, what they're spending on or investing in, right? Because it has to come out of somewhere. And, uh, you know, in my mind, you know, people will always, uh, you know, supply themselves with housing, food, that type of thing first, and then investing comes second. And I guess when I look at the, the pie and how people have to cut it up, I would have to imagine some of the speculative things are most at risk of being eliminated from someone's budget of spending. But, but I wonder where investing sits. I, I agree with Jose. I think it's much easier for people to um, work out how to invest. You know, we, we've seen Robin Hood give access to, you know, you know, the new, genera- new generation and there are lots of other apps um, too. Uh, you still got to be good at investing because it's still possible to lose your money um, and you got to pay attention. So that we always advocate fundamental stories like you guys um, for, for, for that reason. And I, and I just, um, you know, I think it's, it's incumbent on all of us to actually help this generation coming through to, to understand how to invest. But in terms of pro- the prioritizing, clearly 
Well, here's a story. One of one of our um, staff came and other day said, right, one of the companies providing our energy has gone bust. One of thirty in the UK, which has gone bust, um, and we've moved over to one of the pre- you know previous big suppliers, EDF, French company, um, who contacted him and said, right, your bill's going up three times, going to four thousand pounds a year from you know thirteen hundred pounds a year. That's most of his disposable income. Right, so so you know, he, heating is is a big deal in in, in that scenario. You've, you've also food prices are coming down the line. Look at look what's happening with wheats and grains um, at, at the moment. These are big decisions people are going to have to make, and this new generation of investor savvy um, people are are going to have problems that perhaps our generation didn't face. So that's why I say, you know, can you can you honestly say right? Smart investing is the best way of pre- preserving and, and growing your wealth, but you got to need to know what you're doing. Is, I mean, is that the message we're, we're trying to say today? I mean, Jose, I think you've, you, you, you. Warren Buffett explained it beautifully. He said, like, guys, you always buy things for less than what is worth it. And as long as you do that, it's just a matter of time. So. And he has been doing very well. I mean, uh, the, the reality is that he's telling you is like, you, you need to know how much is worth what you're buying. You have to find a way to quantify it. Either do a discounted free cash flow, either do an analysis in metrics, either do comparables. You find the way you want to do it, but you have to demonstrate yourself that it is worth in the market less than what you think is worthwhile. And I think in these three companies, you can see that immediately where there is fundamental value. So then you buy that, eventually you will get the price. Sometimes it takes too long uh, and, and we get desperate. And people who lose money, it's not because they were wrong. It's just because they, they were impatient. And patience is the name of the game now. We, we will have to be patient. We'll have to choose the right horses, uh, the right teams, the right jurisdiction, the right commodity. Um, and you'll do okay. I think, Matt, we also need to be a little bit careful about talking about investing relative to speculating. I think a lot of the things that you know we're, we're highlighting here in terms of meme stocks and cryptocurrency and and you know some of these um, different uh, you know speculation vehicles for lack of a better term um, are different than what Jose is talking about. you know companies that have fundamental value that is, that are trading at a discount to that fundamental value. I mean, you know, that's a different type of investment than buying GameStop, which is up 400% and you're seeing, you know, a squeeze, um, you know, with, uh, with with hedge funds who are short the stock. I mean, that's a speculation versus an, an investment. Cryptocurrency is something we've touched on a little bit um, on this call as well. I mean, if you look at Bitcoin over the last 10, uh, 10 12 years, it's had 30% down moves in one month over a dozen times. You know, and I think one of the things we've seen in the last year is, you know, the discussion of is Bitcoin a safe haven? Is it an alternative to gold? I mean, I think those kind of moves ultimately highlight that it's, you know, really is a speculative vehicle and it's a speculative investment. Gold over that same period, for example, has had one month of down 15%. 
So, I mean, speculation versus fundamental investment, I think, is something that needs to be differentiated as well. You never want to put all your eggs into that speculative basket because, you know, maybe you could um, make out like a bandit. But more often than not, when you put that chip on the roulette table, it goes to zero. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. You know, I think, you know, I guess when, you know, Mavericks itself, we have 125 royalties and streams around the world. And, you know, you know, we're basically constructing a portfolio is effectively what we're doing of many different gold assets, little slices of gold assets around the world. And, you know, I think not having all your eggs in, in one basket is, is critical. And the other element of that is what Jose mentioned is being able to withstand uh, the time that it might take for the investment to come to fruition. And I guess, you know, from our perspective at Mavericks anyway, I mean, you don't want to come into a situation where you've got a lot of debt and you're forced to repay it at a certain time. So we run a net cash balance always. And so, you know, I think that is very important as well as the staying power of the individual investor. So you have to have, you know, your own finances in order and you have to have the mindset as well that, you know, it's not going to work out on day one. Just to add to that, I mean, if you look at Mavericks's portfolio or, or any of the other royalty companies, I mean, they'll have production, they'll have, you know, near-term development, they'll have long-term development, and they'll have e exploration. I mean, that's similar to what investors should be looking at, production, development, exploration, and having a balance of those. If you're really bullish on, on the commodity price, whether it's gold or copper um, or nickel, then maybe you want to you know, overweight the exploration portion of your portfolio because typically that ends up having more leverage to whatever the commodity price is. But having a balance of all those things is, is obviously very important. Right. I mean, fair, fair point. Okay. So metals mining in probably entering a hal halcyon days uh, for the next couple of years, one suspects. Um, but if we're going to be uh, talking about portfolio, we need to also talk about non-correlated uh, sectors as well as, as part of that mix. But maybe that's a conversation for another day. Gentlemen, I think we should wrap it up there. Um, and I would say to the uh, viewers and listeners of this, um, if you want to look at well-run companies, you couldn't go uh, wrong with looking at O3 Mining, Mavericks Metals, and New Core Gold. Gentlemen, thank you very much today. Thank you. Thanks, Matt.